I don't know if anybody knows it or not, but this is a, this is a day, October 31st, in which our culture and several other cultures celebrate as All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. Now, we have kind of flipped the script on that, and we've developed harvest festivals and all, other, all kinds of alternative ways to deal with it and, and celebrate or acknowledge, at least give our children a great experience. Now, Christians, particularly those of us who are evangelical, we sit on all ends of the scale and all ends of the spectrum on this thing. I mean, from, from we shouldn't even acknowledge it, it shouldn't even be something, we don't want to tip our hat to the devil or anything like that, or to, to the other extreme of saying, it really doesn't matter, I'm going to let my kid dress up like Freddy Krueger, and, and my other daughter's going to dress up like the Wicked Witch of the West. I mean, so we've got it from one end of the spectrum to the other. Now, I'm not here to tell you how to do what you do, but let me just say this. The last thing I want to do is give the enemy any more credit for anything. Amen? And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about, because we're in this series called Winning in Life, where we're taking week by week topics, issues, and we're funneling them back into helping each of us understand that it is God's Word. It's the Word of our testimony. It is God's Word in us, God's history through us, whereby we overcome and we win this thing. Amen? Now, we know that in the end, we win. When I die, I know where I'm going. And so if I do die, listen, it's a win-win deal. If I live, it's a win deal. If I die, it's a win deal because I know and I'm secure in where I'm going, whose I am, and who I am. Does that make sense? So in the end, I know I win. But what about the meantime? We still win, right? Not a lot of win-win deals in the world today, but this is one whereby we know that we win in the end, but on a daily basis in life, where it matters and where it counts, we win. And that means on Monday afternoon. That means on Tuesday morning. That means on Wednesday night. That means on Thursday afternoon. That means every moment of my life, I have the opportunity to win in life, to overcome. Now, when we talk about winning in life, let me clarify and make sure you understand that we're not winning against an opponent as though I'm fighting you, or I'm racing you, or I'm competing against you. And yet, Paul used that kind of language. He said, look, we're in a race. Run the race to win it. And so the race or our opponent that we're against is actually the enemy. Now, I want to say something and help you understand something. There is a very real devil. I didn't have a lot of point of reference for this, but in 1971... Does anybody remember 1971? For some of you, it was a haze. I know. I understand. It was the 70s. For others of you, no. But uh, 1971, a book came out that was written by a guy named William Peter Blatty. And that book was called The Exorcist. That book showed up in my house on the dinner table. And I looked, picked it up and read the back of it. And you got to understand, I, I, was, I was 11, 12 years old. I pick up the book, I read the back of it, it looks interesting. And so I took that very thick paperback and I read that thing cover to cover. Now understand this, I was not a Christian or a Christ follower. I did believe that God existed. I believed that there was a devil. In fact, I had a dream or a vision. I'm not even sure what it was. It seemed so real. It was like a vision, but it must have, I'm thinking it was a dream. But when I was very small, I was in my mother's living room in our house. This was the day when you had two living rooms in a house. And so there was a front living room, which nobody ever touched, right? We're talking about vinyl over the, over the couch. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And that room was off limits to the kids, was it not? Our mama would get the switch, all right? So... So we had one of those front living rooms, which was never used. And then we had, you know, our living room, which was just like, you know, free-for-all. A den, they called it. But I remember being, and again, I, it was like at night. And during the Christmas holidays, we'd put our tree up there because it was in the front of the house. And we'd look out to the street. And I, I remember sitting in there one night. I, my little brother was already asleep. He's three years younger than me. I was awake. And you could see from the living room into my bedroom, like through the hall. There was just a little little crook in, in the way you got there. But you could see in there, and you could see my toy box and my bed. And I remember sitting uh, at the feet of my mom. She was reading a book under a single lamp that was on. And I remember looking up because I heard something in the other room, which was my room. 
And when I looked back into that room, I saw what looked like to me the devil. And he was getting in my toy box. The lid was up. He's down there. He's picking up my toys. And, and when I hear him and I look and I see him, I'm looking and he turns and looks at me. And let me tell you something. I was just a little kid, but I want you to know I've never forgot that look. I've never, I've never forgot that face. Now, whether that was a literal devil or an imp or a demon or I had a wild dream because I had some bad whatever that night, I don't know. But what I do know is it struck fear in me. And it caused me to be afraid of, of, of a certain scenario. And if the lighting is just right, even to this day, if the lighting is just right, I will find myself nervous about looking into another room. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever had a fear of overwhelming dread that seemed very malevolent, very evil, very dark? You couldn't explain it. It was just there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If that's you, raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, I'm just curious. Uh, two people raised their hand. I thought, surely. Okay, we're going to change the topic right now. You aren't dealing with this. There was another time, and I was... I was uh, uh, 19 years old, and, and I was in the living room at a sunken den, and I was in there by myself late at night, and I was actually strumming a guitar, and, and uh, I literally, I was a brand new Christian, had just, just really been walking with the Lord a very short time, and, and I had this sudden feeling of overwhelming fear and dread, and it literally came out of nowhere. You got to understand my personality. I just don't, I don't walk like that. I don't think like that. I'm not one that has weird, I just, I'm just not even hypersensitive to that. But that night, just that feeling of dread, and, and, all, and, and, and for a moment until I could get a hold of myself, I mean, it almost overwhelmed me. I felt like I was being run over by a tractor or a steamroller or something because of the feelings of dread and fear. And, and literally, I couldn't even articulate it. It was just a bizarre Felt very evil, very malevolent, as opposed to benevolent. I, if you understand the word malevolent, evil, something meant me harm. Now I grew up much like you, typical watching movies, watching shows. I mentioned the book in 1971. William Peter Blatty came out with The Exorcist. I read it cover to cover. Was fascinated with the supernatural at that point. It, it, it heightened my awareness. In 1973. In fact, as soon as that book was released, it, was, it exploded onto the New York Times bestseller list so quickly that immediately that book was taken and converted into a screenplay where only two years later, 1973, that movie was released as a feature film starring Linda Blair uh, as a little girl named Reagan who was possessed with a demon, not just a demon, but possessed with Satan himself. And the movie was actually shortly thereafter. In fact, it's the highest grossing horror movie that's ever been released in history in America. And it also, uh, interesting enough about that is that, is that news, uh, Newsweek at the time came out and said, uh, this is the most frightening film ever made. Now, there was a difference because, I don't know about you, but I grew up with Frankenstein and Dracula I want to suck your blood. I mean, I, you know, we grew up Lon Chaney playing the werewolf, right? Remember that? Frankenstein, I mean, I mean we, we grew up with all that, with, you know, uh, <laughs> the creature from the Black Lagoon. Does anybody remember that one? <sighs> you know, and then later the Slee Stacks on Lost. I mean, just, we all grew up watching stuff, and, and it was almost comical, actually. It was a little frightening. The only thing that really frightened me as a kid was the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz, who still gives me the creeps. That's Margaret Hamilton, by the way. Scary lady. But anyway, and the little monkeys, too. But, uh, um, but growing up in this environment, growing up in this culture of you know, scary movies, well, when, in 1973, when The Exorcist came out, it struck a nerve, it struck a chord in the heart of our culture because... One, it was based on actual events. I don't know if you knew that. And I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory on that. And, and two, it was based on enough reality because, listen to this, the law of God has been written on the heart of man, the Bible says. 
In other words, we know there's a real God, we know there's a real devil. And however culture defines that, and everybody's defining it their own way these days, but at the end of the day, we know there's real evil and there's real good. And there's something in us that scares us deeply. There's a healthy, natural fear God put us for... I mean, for example, if we were to throw a big picture of a, of a cobra snake up here, you know, half of you just get the heebie-jeebies immediately. Why? Because there's a natural fear that God gave you to protect you. As a child, most of us understood without having to be told not to touch an open flame because it's a natural fear, and God gave you that fear to protect you. There's also that sense of, of not going next to the edge of the bed, even as a small child, because because you recognize there's, there's a built-in fear, an innate fear of falling. So there, there's a healthy fear that God wired us with that, that's there, and it's, it's intentional, to, it's made to protect us because God loves us. Well, the reason this movie so impacted culture is because it struck at the heart of something that all of us believe might be real, could be real, possibly is real. I want you to turn your attention to the screen. We put together, Alicia, I had Alicia put together a little collage, montage of, of some things that maybe you might recognize as you were growing up, some of these films. So go ahead and look at the screen. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. Your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. Phenomena is occurring where it's not occurring. This is your room, Hunter. Hey, Jackal. <laughs> Who is that? It's your Aunt Katie. So weird. I totally thought we lost it. Somebody broke in and trashed the house. Christy thought it was a ghost. I know you guys are freaked out, okay? And I'm going to take care of you guys. This is the freakiest thing that happened to me last night. This is the door closing by itself.
as kids, we'd be nervous about the boogeyman. Remember the boogeyman? Everybody had a different name for him, but mine was the boogeyman. So, you know, it was always, I actually had more fun tormenting my younger brother than I did actually being scared, but uh, that was what big brothers did, unfortunately, and he's still scarred for life at this point in time, but but we did, we, we, would, and we would lay in bed, and I, we had bunk beds, and I was, I was cooler, so I was on top, and, uh, and I remember telling stories, making up scary stories, just to try to get a rise out of my brother. Man, I'd hear him shivering, I'd hear him nervous, and shut up, shut up, I mean, he'd just get up, mom, I mean, he'd get upset, I'd get in trouble, but, but we spent time, and most of the time it was playing on something that's real in our life, the fear or the sense of evil is a real thing, and yet playing on that fear for entertainment. And what you just saw in this, in this montage and, and all these trailers, this is Hollywood's version of fear, Hollywood's version of evil. But I want you to know something. There's a real version. In fact, the movie The Exorcist was based off of a real story, a real situation with a young man back in the 1940s. 12-year-old Robbie Mannheim was his name. And, and his parents began to hear things in his room, and it began to escalate over a period of time. In fact, to the point where they called a priest in and said, Would you examine our son? Things are happening in his room. Uh, uh, things are levitating. Things are flying across the room. He even had uh, the word evil rise up in his skin, on his chest, underneath his skin, and it spelled out evil. And, and his parents began to realize this is not the flu. There's something more going on. And so they, uh, they reported this. They, they had him examined. They took him to several different uh, therapists in different places, hospitals. In fact, in one period in the, early 19, no, the late 1940s, he went through exorcism rites from an Anglican church, the Lutheran church, and who knows who else. Over 30, listen to this, in a two-month period, over 30 exorcisms were performed on this young boy. At one point, finally, they had brought in an Anglican priest, and, and again, it had gone over, and they took him to a Jesuit hospital, which is, which is a, a Catholic hospital, and literally they performed, and this was like the 30th, and in, in the, the details are a little sketchy. They did document a lot of this. And it said that on the last time that they did the exorcism on little Robbie, that literally it was so violent that those in other rooms and those below the floor could hear the bed banging and could hear things going on. They could hear commotion. Nurses outside the room waiting, watching, wondering what's going on in there, screaming, all kinds of stuff. And when this is the story, this is the report, that when the demon or whatever, when it exited his body, it exited his body with such a loud clap that they said it was like a shotgun going off and that those throughout the entire hospital felt the building shake and literally heard the sound, of, and they described it like a shotgun going off. That's how powerful it was. And the little boy, the, the young boy said, it's over, it's over. And those were his final words. He actually grew to be a normal man and, and had children and became a family man and had a, led a good, healthy, successful life. Let me tell you something. That 30 exorcisms, and I'm thinking to myself, that could have been handled with a few words. See, what most of us don't realize is that as followers of Jesus Christ, though we do deal with a very malevolent force, a very real enemy, you need to understand that when you know who you are in Christ, when you understand what the Word of God says, then you, at that point, understand your authority in Jesus, and you know that nothing wicked can come near your dwelling, and I'm talking about demonic wise, when you know who you are and you walk in your authority. And if anything tries to come near you, tries to to impact you, you have authority over that. And that's what we've got to understand. That fear, that kind of fear, that fear of, 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 of the unknown, that fear of death. I mean, there's a lot of things that we fear in life. Fear of we have a fear of lack, fear of loss, fear of loneliness, fear of growing old, fear of failure, fear of sickness. There's a lot of fears that happen that, that, we, that people deal with, and that, some of those are from a, actually a top ten list of fears that people experience. But you've got to understand that you have power 
You have authority and you have the ability to literally rise up over those fears. Now, is fear bad or is it a wrong thing? No, like I said, there are natural fears, but there are also unnatural fears. And what we have to learn to do is discern what is natural and what is unnatural. If I'm driving down the road and I'm a little bit concerned because I'm over by the mall area and people are driving like maniacs, that's a good fear because I'm watching, I'm checking, and you know, making sure everything's okay. That's a natural fear. But if I'm driving by the mall and I have an image of my mind driving my car up over the overpass and off over and dying in a ball of flames, how many know that's unnatural? Now, you laugh, but there are people who live this way, have a fear of overpasses, a fear of pylons, literally can see themselves and begin to project themselves being killed in a car wreck. Many people have fear of death and they'll, they'll picture a hundred thousand ways in which they're going to die. And they'll begin to see themselves dying, see themselves and experience dread, stress, anxiety from those things. That is very real. But that is an unnatural fear. Does this make sense? But we also know there's a supernatural fear. And that is when there is actual demonic involvement. Now, we are a church of a lot of different kinds of folks coming together. We are a non-denominational. So when I was in a denominational church, you could kind of say, well, we all kind of believe this. Here's a, here's a road, and we're all on this road. We all kind of believe this doctrinally. And there was a lot of commonality in it. And you kind of stayed in the boundaries of the road. You didn't get in the bar ditch too often. But let me tell you something. We are not one of those kinds of churches. And we have a lot of different people coming. So you need to understand that what I speak out of is not just theory and it's not just theology. It is out of experience and it is out of coming face to face. Let me just say this. As a person who wasn't too sure about the whole satanic demonic thing until I had to come face to face with it. It was at that moment that I became a believer, even though I knew it innately, the law of God written on my heart. I knew there was a real devil. I knew that the demonic and the Bible indicated the demonic, the demonic. But when I came to, to that face to face and had to experience what I experienced, then it made a believer out of me and about 60 other people that were there that night. And I don't want to go into detail because the last thing I want to do is glorify the enemy and, and, and our our almost infatuation with the supernatural is like, oh, tell it. Oh, do tell. And let me, and I'm not bemoaning anybody for that because we do have a curiosity about such things. But let me just say this. That little girl in which I saw that happen, she was 11 years old, I also saw her get born again. And that's where the victory is. And that's what I'd rather talk about than all the events leading up to it, which might make you go, Wow. But I'm not here to make you go, wow. I'm here to get this word of God and say, all right, we know that happens. Now, what, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with malevolent evil? How do we deal with a demonic attack? How do you deal when you're laying in bed and you feel a pressure on your chest and it's not medical? And it's not psychological. There have been times when I've been in, in my bed in a in kind of half sleep, in and out of sleep, and felt a pressure on my chest. And when I tried to do what I know to do, my first response is not to say, hey, somebody help me. My first response is to say, Jesus! And I've been in my bed and literally felt smothered and covered. And, and when I tried to get the words out, anybody ever felt this? Couldn't get the words out. Man, that's when you're in that in-between dream state where you're like a little in, a little out. And, and I'm telling you, that is, a, that is a frightful feeling. But let me tell you something. I pushed through and got the name of Jesus out and covered the blood, and then it, boom, it's gone. Now, I know a lot of people have experienced those kinds of things, some more than others. And uh, if you haven't, don't get infatuated with it because it's not fun, even though it makes a good story at Starbucks over a cup of coffee. But it's not something to play with. Amen? All right, let me share some scripture with you because we need to dive into God's word because God's word has much to say on this topic. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. If you'll look on the screen, this is out of the Amplified Version. It says this. And this is the Apostle Paul encouraging Timothy because Timothy apparently was struggling with some fear. 
He was a young pastor. He was, he was growing and developing, but he had some issues, just like anybody else. He had some real fears. And so as he was doing that, the verse, uh, Paul says, look, I need to remind you to do something because you're, you're walking in some fear. So here's what Paul says to this young pastor. He says this, that is why I would remind you to stir up. Someone say stir it up. To stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God. He said, you've got to stir something up on the inside of you. Now look what it says. The inner fire, that's what that is. That inner fire that is in you by the means of the laying on of my hands. Paul himself laid hands on Timothy and imparted these gifts with those of the elders at your ordination. Verse 7, more familiar verse. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Now look how it's defined in the Amplified. Cowardice of craven and cringing and fawning fear. Say, God did not give me a spirit of fear. Now the logical conclusion is, if God didn't give it to you, where do you think it comes from? Okay, there you go. But He has given us a spirit of power. This is dunamis, by the way. That's explosive in nature. We get the that's the Greek word dunamis. We get the word in the English dynamite. Dunamis, dynamite. And so that's the derivative of that. And so it's an explosive kind of power that impacts. Okay? And he says, For he has given us a spirit of dunamis, power, and of love. Let me tell you something. Faith will not work apart from love. Faith works by love. So don't ever think in terms of, because it's funny how we read the Bible and think, oh, yeah, it's love. okay, love, we've got to love each other. No, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about syrupy, you know, mishy, mashy, mushy. I'm talking about love that is powerful in nature because it's powerful. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm. Let me tell you something. If you're not walking with calm, if you're not walking with, with this grace and the peace of God, then something's off. Something's not right, amen? That's not here to make you feel bad. It's just if something's off, we want to get it right, amen? Calm and a well-balanced mind and a discipline and self-control. Someone say sound thinking. See, God's not giving us a spirit of fear. He's giving us sound thinking. The ability to think rightly. The ability to be sound in the way we approach something, the way we see something, the way we perceive, amen? Now I want to read to you another scripture out of the book of Job. Job chapter 4, verse 23, it'll be on the screen. And Job is complaining, and he's gone to God, and on the heels of Job, losing everything precious to him. His children were crushed when the house collapsed. I mean, he lost everything. Lost his wealth, lost his stocks, lost everything. And I say his stocks, his stock. He lost all of his livestock. Lost everything that, that meant anything to him, and his health had completely deteriorated. And literally, he was stripped of everything he had because God allowed the enemy to test and to sift him. Notice I said God allowed. Now, look what happens. Why is the light? This is Job speaking. Why is the light of day given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God... Actually, he'd been, he'd been saying, curse, curse the day that I was born. That's what he's saying. Cursed be the day that I was born. Anybody ever felt that way? Oh, man, just curse the day I was born. Why is the light day given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? Now, look what he says. For my sighing comes before my food and my groanings are poured out like water. This is a man who's shattered. Now, look what he says. For the thing which I greatly fear comes upon me and that of which I am afraid befalls me. Hang on that. The thing which I greatly fear comes upon me. Let me tell you something. Did you know that whatever you feed grows? You want to grow in faith? Feed faith. What do you feed faith with? The Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Whatever you you feed grows. Let me tell you something about fear. If you feed fear, it will grow. Can I get an amen? Amen. He says this, the thing which I greatly fear comes upon me. What was he doing with fear? He was empowering it. He was feeding it by dreading, by thinking about it, by walking in fear. 
I tell you, anytime I find a parent or, or someone who constantly talks about their children in that light, I just try to arrest them and go, stop. Oh, but I'm just so concerned. I'm so worried. I'm so, I'm so worried that, that my child's going to go through this or go through that. Or I'm so worried they're not going to make it here. And I'm so worried. I, I fear, I fear, I fear. And I'm telling you, you've got to wipe that language out of your vocabulary and quit saying, I fear. I'm worried about. Concern's different. Concern is healthy. It's sound thinking. It's actually you've thought through it. But worry, anxiety, fear, and stress, I fear. I'm just afraid they're going to. I'm just afraid. I'm got, you know what you're doing? You're feeding. You're feeding. And that which you feed grows. Now look what happens. He says, the thing on which I greatly fear comes upon me. And he literally was feeding that. And that of which I am afraid befalls me. In other words, those things I've been afraid of, they're happening to me. Now look what it says. I was not or am not at ease. This is Job crying out saying, this is how I am because I'm racked with fear. I have fed fear. Nor had I or have I rest. Nor was I or am I quiet. Yet trouble came and still comes upon me. Now, this has a great rest of the story. And you need to read the book or at least go to the end and read the last chapter Because God shows up, answers Job's complaint, and a restoration happens. Amen? Why? Because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. It's a core value. Now, I want to share with you, listen to this quote. And this is from uh, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Listen to this. It's from his first inaugural address, March 4th, 1933. He says this, The only thing, this is a famous quote, you've probably heard this, The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning. Look how he defines this. This is brilliant. Unjustified terror, which paralyzes, very accurate, needed efforts to convert retreat into what? You know what you're called to do? You are certainly not called to retreat. To live a life on the ropes in a defensive posture. Did you know that the armor of God that God gives us and Paul talks to us and teaches us about in Ephesians chapter 6 is offensive in nature. The shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. The sword of the spirit is not a defensive weapon. It is offensive in nature. We're trying to convert a mentality of retreat into what? Advancement. Why? Because we have to deal with fear. Can I get an amen? Now, let me give you some things that people fear. This is, I shared some of these. Death, the unknown. I remember seeing, uh, Annette and I did watch that movie, Paranormal. I'm not too excited about Paranormal 2. In fact, I may not watch that one. But uh, we watched that. And you know what? The whole movie never really shows anything, but just like probably three or four moments of absolute shock and awe. And there's not a, there's not a devil there's not a face, there's not a creature. You know, in the old movies, it was always, you know, how, how scary can we make it look? And there's nothing to see. And that actually makes that movie more frightening because you never actually see. And I don't know about you, but my imagination is a whole lot worse than what Hollywood can come up with. When my mind is not sanctified, set apart, my imagination is not sanctified and washed and renewed, it can be a scary place. Amen? And so that movie there actually was more frightened because of this element of the unknown. Here's another thing we fear. Failure. Actually, most people don't fear failure as much as they actually fear success. That's a whole other sermon. Because when you succeed, you've raised a bar and nobody really wants to live up to that bar, right? Amen. All right. Growing old, lack, loss, loneliness, sickness, and the list goes on and on. Now listen to this. As a Christ follower, and this is a statement... As a Christ follower, that's a Christian. One of the greatest fears is that God will not come through for me. That opens a big can of worms, folks. Because here's the problem. A lot of times what we think God should be doing for us is what we have told God He should be doing for us. And we forget who God is. And who we are. We forget that he made us and not we ourselves. We forget that apart from Christ, I can do 
nothing. And we forget that we are the created, not the creator. Which means that for me to dictate the way God should do what he does is foolishness. However, the flip side of that coin is that in Philippians, we are told to let our requests be made known to God. The problem with that or the situation with that is we better be ready for him to say, no, maybe not now, or I've already taken care of that. But we've got to be so in tune with him and so walking with him in this love walk that when we do bring our request to him, it's in a spirit of appeal whereby I say, God, I love you so much. Here's what I'd like to see happen. And Father, would you bring that to pass and then be ready for the answer? As Christ followers, the greatest fear is that God will not come through for me. The problem is, is because we're dictating what we want God to do. And then when he doesn't do it like we want, we get mad at God. This stuff doesn't work. Maybe it'll work for them, but it won't work for me. Do you know how much of our own personal dysfunction we drag into our faith? Growing up, feeling passed over, feeling worthless, feeling like I never measured up, feeling like, and then I get before God and I'm, a, I'm an adult now, I'm all grown up. And you know what I'm plagued with? The very same issues that I was plagued with at 12, 13, and 14. And we project that onto God. Can I get an amen? That is the truth. So as a Christ father, one of the greatest fears is that God will not come through for me. What I love about God's word is that he says he is not a respecter of persons. God doesn't have favorites. He actually does. We are all his favorite. He favors us because he loves us. But let me just say something about this. I remember hearing Bill Johnson say this. God loves everybody the same, but he doesn't favor everybody the same because God is a respecter of faith. And to the degree that you are walking in intimacy with him, to the degree that you have cultivated your faith will be to the degree that you see the movement of God in and around your life. Can I get an amen? Moving right on through this quote, look at this. My history in God tells you or tells me he's able. My history in God. I can look back and see the record of God's faithfulness and go, ooh, God, God say, thank goodness he didn't answer that prayer. Thank goodness God's smarter than me. Thank goodness he did answer that one. See, my history in God tells me he's able. He's able to work. He's able to provide. He's able to take care of. He's able to lift my feet up out of the miry clay and set them up on a rock. He's able to be the lifter of my head. He's able to overcome when I'm laying there and something goes bump in the night and I start calling on the name of Jesus and I'm back to sleep. He's able. Amen? My history in God tells me that. But look at this. My faith in God. My faith in God tells me he is willing because if he was able there, he's willing here. Does that make sense? Some of you need to grab hold of this and get a hold of it because you've got to begin to look back and go, God is able because he's gotten me here. Well, but pastor, my road's been bumpy. Mine too. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to the dance. Welcome to this thing where you're going to get bruised and broken, and cut, and hurt, and wounded, sounds a lot like what Jesus went through. Some of it will be the persecution because of the word the scripture says. Some of it will be by our own poor choices. Can I get an amen, or am I the only human here? Nine times out of ten, it's my choices. One time out of ten, it's because I took a stand for the word and got attacked. And those are real. But my history tells me he's able. But my faith tells me he's willing. He's willing. Here's another thing. Not all fear is bad fear, and we already talked about that. There's natural, unnatural, and supernatural. Now, let's get it to where we live. How to win over fear. What do we do? Pastor, I'm racked with fear. I've had some bad history. Some things have gone wrong. And, and because of that, it's trained me. I'm almost trained to be... Some of you are afraid. Listen to this. I want you to look. This is real. Some of you have had such a rugged past that every time things start going good for you, you start getting in fear. You know what the fear is? The fear is this won't last. Is this real? 
Things are going too good, and you start to live, instead of looking forward with your eyes on the prize, I mean, looking towards the tape, the goal, the finish line, you start to live like this. Looking, looking for something to go wrong. Is this not the truth? Job says, the thing I feared the most came upon me. You start to feed that fear by walking in paranoia, instead of having a mentality of saying, God is good, this is supposed to happen. Things are supposed to work. Things are supposed to go good. Don't get a lot of amens on that because some of you are not living that, walking it out and haven't experienced it yet. That's not to beat anybody up. It's just that we've got to begin to look forward and go, wait a minute, I am his favorite. The favor of God surrounds me like a shield. And God tells me I'm an overcomer. God tells me in Christ I can win. God tells me I'm the head and not the tail. He tells me I'm blessed. When we start believing that, and that becomes our reality, then you'll start walking like it and quit looking over your shoulder. What a way to live. Just expecting something to go wrong. Expecting something to happen. Expecting something to break. And then when it does, oh, there it is. I knew it. Well, you fed that thing. God, I knew that relationship was going to blow up. I knew my transmission would go out. Well, yeah, your car has 200,000 miles on it. Be grateful it ran that long. Is the cup half full or half empty? See, I get really passionate about this because I love you so much that I just get tired of watching Christians just live in utter defeat because it's wrong. And I just, I, here's the thing. I know that if we'll get a hold of this book and this becomes real to us and with our mouth we begin to set the temperature, we begin to set the stage, we begin to change the atmosphere with the Word of God and we begin to say, you know what, this is what God's Word, oh, I know my circumstance looks like this, but this is what the Word says. Oh, I know I feel like this right now. I feel depressed. Oh, my bipolar's acting up. Oh, I'm up today. I'm down tomorrow. I'm manic. I'm all over the map. But here's what God's Word says. Well, here's what the diagnosis is. But here's what God's Word says. Okay, whose report am I going to believe? When we get to the point, and you've got to feed this thing, because whatever you feed grows. Whatever you feed grows. Maybe that's the message for today. Whatever you feed grows. And then you have to be honest. What am I feeding? Am I feeding fear? Am I feeding insecurity? Am I feeding paranoia? Oh, things are just going too good right now. Oh, I've got some peace, but well, I know what's coming. Oh, I'm having a good day, but you know, there's always tomorrow. Some of you live in such dread and fear and anxiety that you can't even enjoy Friday because you dread Monday. So your whole weekend's wrecked because you know Monday's coming. You just oh. This is real. Is it not real? Is this not where we live? And I say we because I have to fight this fight just like you do. I don't get a get out of stress free card because I'm a pastor. In fact, my card's bigger than yours. Trust me, because I got my own stress and yours too. And I have a horrendous, blessed on one hand, cursed on the other gift of empathy. Which means I don't just feel bad for you, I feel what you feel. I kid you not, when we read those cards on Monday morning, the reason why I made, a, made Alicia put a I'm thankful for is because all we were reading was bad news. Because you were giving us your prayer requests, which we want to hear because we want to team with you. But I'm telling you, I need to hear some good news too to counter it. And I was getting depressed reading our prayer cards. A whole staff were like... Oh, Lord, help us. God, Jesus. I mean, literally, it was brutal. Now that we've got, I'm thankful for, it's like, okay, all right, they've got this going on, but here's what they're thankful for. Okay, all right, that counters it. But I'm in this with you. So you've got to understand that the only way my faith grows is the same exact way yours does. I have to feed it. So let me give you some help with that, some scriptures. you got to fight, listen to this, fight and face fear with the Word of God. I'll give you three things. 
Fight and face fear with the word of God. Declare. The word declare, we're learning this on Wednesday night, means to make quite clear. When I declare something, I'm making a statement. It's a formal statement. And I'm putting heaven on notice. I'm putting hell on notice. And I'm putting you on notice that I'm making this quite clear. What am I making clear? God's word in the situation. So look how it works. Declare, make quite clear, God's word over fear that attacks your mind. You know what? 90% of the battle is right here. Most of the things we fear haven't even come to pass. You know what that's called? Anxiety. You know, anxiety isn't over a current situation. It's over something that might happen. And Job said, the thing I feared the most. Don't feed that thing. Okay? I'm going to teach you how to not feed it. Whatever you starve dies. And whatever you feed lives and grows. Does this make sense? Is this simple enough? Trying to make this practical. Replace, look at this, replace negative, destructive thoughts with powerful, life-giving, positive words from the Word. From the Word. Someone say, from the Word. So we take God's Word and we begin to replace those negative thoughts. Let me show you how it works. Isaiah fifty four seventeen. look at your screen. But no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. How many know that's a good word? Take that word and replace the negative thought that's coming against you that, oh my gosh, I'm being attacked again. Oh, the last time this happened, it was so hard. Oh, the last time I, got, I took that hit, I lost my car. Last time I took that hit, I lost a friend. Last time, I'll, no weapon that is formed against you. So how do you make this quite clear? You do it the way you do it in real life. If you are a boss and you call together a staff meeting... You go into your organization and you make things quite clear. How do you do that? You might do it in print. You do it on a board, on a whiteboard. You say, here's what's going on. I'll let you know. Here's how it happens. If you're a coach, you draw the play. You're laying it out. You're writing the vision and making it plain. You write, but you also declare it with your mouth. You're making it quite clear. So you have to make clear this truth. When you begin to sense and feel that dread, anxiety, and stress as you're sitting in class about to take a midterm, is that real or what? You take the Word of God and you take out your little notepad, but no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against me in judgment, you shall show to be in the wrong. You take it and you, on your, under your breath, in the name of Jesus, in the name of no weapon formed against me, because the enemy is going to tell you you're going to fail. And you ought to pray this prayer. Lord, to the degree that I've studied, give me an A. Uh, That's scary prayer. Lord, I need a supernatural touch from you as I'm taking this test. If you have prepared, then you go in with all confidence and say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. No weapon formed against me. Let me tell you, when fear comes on, we had a blow up with with my 10-year-old, Rachel. I mean, how many know children go through phases and stages? Okay. We had one of those. It was short-lived, praise God. It was like three days of just weirdness. I don't know, it was a change in the weather, fueled in with tin. I don't know. Just, she just went through some, we had some bad days. I mean, how many know as a parent, some days you just feel like, oh my gosh, somebody should call CPS. I'm horrible. <laughs> Please don't tell Dr. Dobson I'll be on a show, you know, saying how bad a parent I am. How many sometimes just feel like a failure, and it can be one moment, one incident. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me tell you, that happened recently, and I had to fight it. I had to fight my thoughts. I didn't give voice to them because I'm not going to feed that thing. But I literally had to take God's word, everything we've been teaching about winning in life, overcoming. I had to do that in one moment because in my mind, I was having a runaway. Anybody ever run away in your mind? It was just spinning, running, and I had to arrest it. I had to stop it with the Word of God. And I had to go into another room in the house where nobody was, but Sparky followed me in, my dog. Sparky's anointed because he hears us all the time. He's, he's always under the Word. So anyway, I go into this other room, and I'm just like, in the name of Jesus, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. No weapon formed against my little girl shall prosper. This is not who she is. This is not who she is. This is not my little girl. I mean, literally just confessing the word, confessing the word. You know what I did? I made it quite clear. I made a declaration. I also made a declaration this wasn't going to happen in my home. 
and took authority over that. Listen, that thing came and went. Amen? 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Look at the screen. We'll give you some scripture. For though we walk, live in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh using mere human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare, get a clue on this, listen. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of the flesh and blood. Alright? So you can be big and intimidating physically, but it doesn't matter. And you can be the smallest, most petite little lady, but full of the word of God, and you can tear hell up. Okay? Because the weapons are not what we deem as powerful. Look what it says. They are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. The weapons God allows me to use can destroy and overthrow strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? It's anything that has attached itself to your life, to your thoughts, your mentality, your behaviors, anything that the enemy has that now becomes a way for him to get a hook in, a way to get a grip on, and now he can manipulate you. When I used to work for a storm window and door company before I was in school, we had to carry these four-by-eight sheets of glass. And we had these sucker things that we would put on there, and then you'd twist it, and it would just put so much suction on that. And literally, a clean sheet of glass suddenly had two handles on it, and you could handle that thing and move it around any way you wanted. That's what a stronghold looks like in your life. When the enemy... Might not mess with you, but in a moment's time, he can grab hold of that thing. And now he's leading you around, carrying you around, moving you around. Wait a minute, I'm a child of God. Chink. It's got to break loose. You've got to destroy it. Does that make sense? Look at the next scripture. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings, we refute, we bring them down, we cancel them. And every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. Now look what it says. This is all out of the Amplified. And we lead, this is critical, this is your weapon. Get ready to use this. We lead every thought and purpose away captive. Think of those handles. Tell, the enemy doesn't have to have a stronghold on you, but you should have a stronghold on your mind. You should be able to say, no, no, mind, you're not going there. I've got you. You don't have me. Where you now take that and you lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, Messiah, the Anointed One, whereby now, because of that, you take your own thoughts captive. And you, I literally do this by declaring it, making it quite clear. A, a thought comes into my mind, you may hear me go, no! It's a little alarming on an airplane in different places, in airports, standing in line. <laughs> Welcome to TWA, I'd like to throw your... No! <laughs> what? <laughs> No, just had a thought. Never mind. wasn't about you. You just have to, but you got to declare. You got to say no, 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 no. I take my thoughts captive, because if I don't take my thoughts captive, the enemy will take my thoughts captive. So who's going to lead who? The Bible says you've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of sound mind, sound thinking, sound thinking. That's the spirit you've been given. That's a gift. Now use the gift, and when that thought comes into you, say no. No, I refuse to think that. No, I refuse to be moved by that. In fact, I will not be moved by anything but by faith. I will not be moved by that. I will not be overwhelmed by that. Does this make sense? So how do you do it? Someone say it. You say it. Speak it. You declare it with your mouth. All right? Let's go to the next scripture, Randall. Revelation 12, 10, and 11. Then I heard a strong, loud voice in heaven saying... Now it has come, the salvation and the power and the kingdom, the dominion, the reign of our God. What a day that's going to be. Come on, somebody. And the power, the sovereignty, the authority of his Christ, the Messiah. Guess what? What a day it's going to be. What a day it is. Remember, Jesus got the keys to the kingdom. It says, for the accuser of our brethren... This is the one in the book of Daniel who's referred to as the little horn that just keeps talking before the court of God. 
just talking nonstop, accusing, you did that, you did that, you thought that, you felt that, you did that, you're this, you're that. That's what a prosecutor does. And the accuser of the brethren does the same thing. He accuses you. Now look at this. Who keeps bringing before our God charges against them when? Someone say 24-7. Let me tell you something. The enemy doesn't sleep. The accuser does not sleep, does he not? If the accuser has a stronghold in your mind, that's all you're going to hear is how bad you are and how much you messed up. Oh, God's grace won't cover you. It'll cover them. It'll work for them, but it won't work for you. That's the voice of the accuser. Now, look what happens. It says that he's been cast out. Cast out of where? In this scenario, he was cast out of heaven. He was cast out of his own dominion, in his own place. Cast out. For the accuser of our brethren keeps bringing before our God charges, has been cast out. Now, look at the next verse. And they have overcome. Someone say conquered. They have conquered him by means of the blood of the Lamb and by the utterance, the word. Someone say the utterance. Someone say the word. Say the declaration. They've overcome him by the utterance of their testimony. For they did not love and cling to life even when faced with death, holding their lives cheap till they had to die for their witnessing. In other words, hey, whatever. I, it, I win if I die. I win if I live. Doesn't matter. But I'm, I'm going after this enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Let me go to the last one, Randall, because we're running short on time. Romans 8.31. Romans 8.31. Listen to this. What then shall we say to all this? And this is everything that went before this throughout Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? See, this walking around paranoid, wondering when the next bad thing is going to happen. Wait a minute, God's for me. You have to arrest those thoughts, arrest those feelings. Say, wait, I'm, I refuse to be moved by that. I refuse to be moved by fear and anxiety because my God's for me. Say, God is for me. Now turn to your neighbor and say, God is for you. Turn to somebody else and say, God has your back. Now turn to somebody else and say, He has your front too. Now, just say this out loud. God is for me. Now, say it strong. God is for me. One more time. God is for me. You know what you do when you declare that? You make it quite clear and you begin to believe. Whoa, wait a minute. God is for me. A lot of believers don't believe God's for them. Now, they believe he loves them, but he doesn't, they don't necessarily believe that God's really for them. God is for you. Look what it says. If God's for us, who can be against us? Who can be our foe if God is on our side? Man, you put the devil on notice and you go, wait a minute, whoa, wait, stop. Thoughts come to you, negative thoughts, critical, destructive. Whoa, stop. God's for me. God's for me. You can't come against me. Stop now. No. I'm taking that thought captive. What are you doing? You're literally declaring and you're changing the very atmosphere. Does this make sense? Is this too simple? All right. Remember and recall God's goodness and faithfulness by rehearsing your testimony. What is that? Your history in God. Your history in God to yourself and to others. Philippians 1.6 basically says God finishes what he starts. Remember and recall his goodness, his faithfulness by rehearsing your testimony to yourself and to others. Wait a minute. I've been here before. You know what? And God showed up. Was he early? Probably not. Was he late? Kind of felt like it. Because I would have preferred. Funny thing about faith. <laughs> you have to believe it before you see it. It's funny how many people say, oh, I'll believe God. I'll believe it if I, if I feel it. Yeah, if God will show himself real, I'll believe. And I'm like, sorry, dude. Sorry. In rare cases that happens. But for the most part. You're going to have to find him just like we did. I believe by faith that God raised Jesus from the dead. I believe by faith that his word is true. I believe by faith. Apparently, I'm a sinner and I've missed it. I believe by faith that Jesus gave his life for me and now I can be saved. That's how you're going to have to come to it, by faith. 
interesting thing, though, is as you walk by faith, you will start to see. But rarely in the other order. We call his goodness. All right, look at the scripture, Philippians 1.6. Do you have that, Randall? And I'm convinced. Someone say, I'm convinced. See, if Apostle Paul says he's convinced, that means he's sure. I'm convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return. Let's have our worship team come on up. I'm going to land the plane. Say, God finishes what he starts. Say, God will finish what he started in me. The last thing, I want to give you something. I was thinking, how, how can we make this practical? I want you to look at this. Randall, do you have that? that uh, go ahead and pull this up. BibleGateway.com. You should get that on your computer, pull it up, bookmark it, save it. And I want to help you because some of you probably wonder, how do you pastors, y'all must have the Bible memorized. You're like a walking concordance. No, that's Pastor Rich, not me. <laughs> I fried my, my short-term memory a long time ago. Anyway, I have to get it like anybody else. I have to look for it. And so I've got some tools that I use. I use a Bible program, which is great. But I have found this one to be about as good as the one I have on my hard drive. I mean, it's, it's excellent. It's BibleGateway.com. You can type in there, passage lookup, search. So let's say you're fighting something. something You've got fear coming on you. You can actually go to the topic search, type in fear, and it'll give you verses more than you can count on fear. Then you go to that word and go, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this verse out loud. Stress, anxiety, whatever your situation is, type it in and it'll pull it up. It's a, it's a concordance that's both topical or if you have a scripture and you can read it in 13 or 14 translations. In case you can't understand it in one, you can pull it up in the message, the amplified. I mean, you name it, it's there. And so that's a tool that you can use so that the next time the enemy tries to get a stronghold on you. You can go, whoa, wait a minute, enemy, I'm going to put you on pause. You go to my computer, pull up Bible. All right, type in fear, stress, anxiety, devil. I mean, whatever it is, poverty, lack, provision, whatever it is you've got going on, grief, whatever it is you've got going on, you can pull that up because chances are we're not going to answer the phone. You can't always find us. But you can always access something. God's just provided tools for us, folks. He's used some things. So use some stuff that gets used for a lot of junk and use it for good. Amen? Now you can use this and you can find stuff that are going to give you victory and help you out. Does this help anybody today? Good. Let me encourage you with this. It's October 31st, All Hallows' Eve. The ancient Celts believe that this was the day that they divided the year into two a light the light half of the year and the dark half of the year and they believe that this date started the dark half of the year and they believe that the veil or the boundary between the light half of the year and the dark half of the year was very thin on this day as it transitioned and so they believed that spirits both good and bad would pass through the veil and so they devised what they thought was a plan to ward off evil spirits so they would dress like them. They would put on masks. They would make icons and imagery of that which was demonic and evil. And they would, they would dress up and they would have a celebration. And they felt like if they looked like an evil spirit, an evil spirit wouldn't bother them. And that is how we through the years, developed our own tradition of dressing up like witches and goblins. Be mindful that at this time of the year, do I believe that the veil is thinner? No, I just think that we're just more susceptible up here. And that's where we fight the good fight of faith with the Word of God. Amen? So here's the deal. I just encourage you, don't freak out today. Jeez, watch a ball game this afternoon. Chill out. Do something. But don't get so worked up and stirred up as though the devil somehow is going to win today. Because he's not. And go get some candy. 
and do what I'm going to do and raid my little girl's bag, okay? That's how I celebrate this day. Don't be paranoid. We win. Not only in the end, but today we win. Amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that your word is life, it's truth, it's powerful, and it's impactful. Father, we win. We win over evil. We win over the devil. We win over life. We win over situations. We win over our own evil thoughts. We win over our dysfunctional thinking. We win over our own paranoia that nothing good can happen. Or that if it's going good, it's going to go bad. We win over that. And Father, we thank you that your word works. And we are learning how to work the word. And Father, you watch over your word to perform it. And as your word goes forth, it will not return void, but it will indeed accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. So, Lord, today, I pray over every person today in this sanctuary who will hear this by podcast, that, Father, we will be good soil and that we will receive the seed of this word. And it will bring forth a harvest in our life. And, Father, we will walk in victory and we will win over evil. In Jesus' name, everyone said.